Thank you for downloading this sermon from Holy Trinity Reformed Church. If you live in the vicinity of Mooresville, Indiana, come join us as we rebuild Christ's Holy Church out of the ash heaps of American fundamentalism and evangelicalism through repentance, revival, and reformation. If you would like more information about Holy Trinity Reformed Church, or if you do not live in our area, but would like to support this ministry, please visit our website at reformedholytrinity.org. Well, this morning we are going to be looking in Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel. Chapter 14, we are embarking, and of course we've had holidays and things of that nature, and trying to stay focused upon things you need to know throughout 2023, and so here we are in May, and we're, the, our time is fleeting very quickly, but here in Exodus chapter 14, we want to under, come to understand something, and it's really a, a simple premise that we want you to understand here this morning, but there's a lot of context to it. Just as we think of the context here in our day and age, as we see the decline and the destruction of Western Christendom, as we see the erosion that is taking place, and the decline and decay all throughout our culture here in the United States of America. As we are seeing a rise in every evil thing under the sun to the point of insanity. It's all the same sins, right? There's nothing new under the sun when it comes to that. But the degree, the intensity, the insanity... It's not like the maniac of Gadara was different in essence regarding sin. He had just reached a high degree of insanity in his sin, right? And that's where we are at today. We have reached a high degree of insanity in our sin throughout our society. To the point that we are seeing unleashed... Those same spirits that the maniac of Gadara was dealing with, right? And it is true. Now, a lot of times we can't see it because, first of all, we're thinking back to some past movie where you saw the head circle around in the 360. Um, what was that? Uh, the Exorcist or... The, yeah, okay. So... We're thinking back to that kind of stuff, you know, which if your head twisted around like that, then you'd be decapitated. But anyway, uh, so we're thinking about stuff like that. And, um, of course, we've also been desensitized to it all um, and therefore don't see and understand the things that are going on. Um, but if there wasn't real spirits and there, if there wasn't evil spirits, then we wouldn't be told to try the spirits to see whether they are of God. 
Uh, but we're thinking of that. And then also we're thinking of all the hucksters, right? It is amazing what people will do in the name of Christ. So here we are, seeing a terrible onslaught of darkness upon our land. And there are hucksters out there to take the money of Christians away from them for their own benefit and for their own advancement um, by conning them into thinking that, you know, he, the individual that is the, the evangelist or whatever he's called, you know, has some kind of special insight and power over demons and things of that nature. So that causes us to have a faulty understanding ourselves. Uh, because, as we were talking about in Sunday school, we are reactionary. And so I'm going to repeat it for everyone else. Etch this in your mind. The wrong use of a thing does not negate the right use of a thing. As a matter of fact, the wrong use of a thing necessitates the right use of the thing. And that's what we need to understand in this day in which we are living. But we are seeing the rise of satanic influence all throughout our culture. Even with blatant public profession of it. But you can definitely see it in the actions and the insanity of individuals. As a matter of fact, that is the reason why you see some of these people so, go so berserk in public. Even at just hearing at the very mention of the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. And you can see on their, in their faces and in their eyes that they are rabid. But we see the decline. We see the consequences of our sin. But we can look back and find some things to help us. To help us understand where we are at, what we are facing, what we are experiencing, and what to do about it. That is the disappointing thing today. Is that here we are the subjects of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We are the subjects of the one who has been granted all power and all authority. And we're wringing our hands. What are we going to do? Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. What are we going to do? Well, maybe we ought to begin by obeying him. That might be the start, right? Doing what he said. But we keep trying to do it our way. We're going to go down to the, clo the end of our lives so that we can have that song sung at our funeral, I did it my way. Well, we've done it our way, and it's not panning out very well. And you know what? Israel in the Old Testament did it their way. It didn't pan out very well either. Over and over and over again throughout their history, they would do it their way, and it wouldn't work out well. 
and they would suffer for it. And many times they would turn back to the Lord, and then other times, even in the midst of the consequences of their sins, they wore it proudly. I'm afraid that's where we're at here in the United States of America. I'm afraid that we're at the point that the consequences of our sin is not driving us to turn back to the Lord, but we would rather wear it proudly. That's where we're at. Terrible place to be. That was also the place where the Israelites were here in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 14, I'm not going to read the whole chapter at once to begin. I just want to read verse number 6 to start us off. This is the Lord's message to Ezekiel. Now there were the elders of Israel that came to him to inquire of the Lord and to inquire of him. And the Lord says, this is what you tell them. He said, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, repent. Turn, from your, turn away from your idols and turn your faces away from all your abominations. That's the message. Simple. It's cut and dry. So here we are in the book of Ezekiel. It is a prophetic book found in the Old Testament of the Bible, obviously. It is named after its author, Ezekiel, who was a Jewish priest and prophet, as, by the way, um, you're not going to find really anything to the contrary where prophets weren't priests. Uh, Jeremiah was a priest, and it goes on and on and on. But the book provides an account of Ezekiel's visions, his prophecies, and messages from God, and it also offers some insights into the historical and cultural context of that time. Ezekiel lived during a critical period in Israel's history in the 6th century B.C. Uh, the Babylonian Empire, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, who first invaded Judah and Jerusalem in 597 B.C., and then ultimately conquered the kingdom of Judah and destroyed Jerusalem in 586 B.C., well, this invasion in 597, which began, remember B.C. counts backwards, right? So that's why I'm trying to think of it in A.D. sense. It doesn't make sense. But, um, so in 597, which was the initial invasion by Babylon into Judah, it marked the beginning of the Babylonian exile during, many, during which many Israelites were forcibly taken to Babylon as captives. But... Jerusalem was not yet destroyed. Okay? So there were some still holding out there in Jerusalem. But these exiles with Ezekiel, because Ezekiel was in that first wave, he was taken to Babylon as an exile in captivity uh, before the fall of Jerusalem. And those who were taken were primarily members of the upper echelons of society including the king, by the way, Jehoiachin, uh, along with his uh, officials, his military leaders, and skilled craftsmen. Uh, but if you remember, Jehoiachin was a son of who? Josiah. Remember, we've talked about that last year. And so, 
Uh, these individuals were taken captive by the Babylonians during the first Babylonian invasion of Jerusalem and in, in Judah in 597 B.C. And so they were part of the initial wave of exiles who were uprooted from their homeland and transported to Babylon. So Jehoiachin, or known as also as, uh, 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 I'm not even going to try to say it. But anyway, he was a ruler of the kingdom of Judah in ancient Israel, where he reigned for a brief period. And um, he was, uh, excuse me, he was the son of Jehoiakim and the grandson of Josiah. But he ascended to the throne of Judah at the age of 18, following the death of his father, Jehoiakim. And um, his reign was marked by political instability and conflict uh, with the dominant power in that region, Babylon. Uh, but during that period of time of his reign, he faced pressure because Nebuchadnezzar sought to assert control over Babylon. And so they were putting a lot of pressure upon Judah. In 597 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, uh, excuse me, uh, Nebuchadnezzar um, besieged Jerusalem, and Jehoiachin and many of his officials, they were taken to captivity to Babylon, and he was uh, replaced by his uncle, who was installed as a puppet king by Nebuchadnezzar. And um, his name was eventually changed to Zedekiah. But uh, Jehoiachin remained in Babylon for the rest of his life, okay? And it's believed that he lived till about 560 B.C. Now, the reason why we are mentioning this is because this is the ministry of Ezekiel. He is a prophet to Israel and to Judah in captivity up in Babylon, he was taken in that first invasion as a captive. So he was a contemporary with Jeremiah, with Daniel, and Zedekiah. So those are three figures that you find uh, that in, the, in the Bible that are significant uh, players, you might say, that Ezekiel was a contemporary of. And so the exiles with Ezekiel, they represented a segment of the Jewish community that had been taken captive, and they formed a significant audience in Ezekiel's prophetic uh, ministry. And so Ezekiel began his prophetic ministry several years before the fall of Jerusalem. He was called by God to be a prophet and given the task of delivering messages to his fellow exiles as well as to the Israelites who remained in Judah. His prophecies and visions conveyed both warnings of judgment and messages of hope and restoration, as always you find in these prophetic messages of judgment. You can look at all the various prophets, and there is always an underlying message of hope and restoration, conditional, based upon certain conditions prescribed by God, but hope and restoration. And so the book of Ezekiel is organized into several sections. 
containing a combination of uh, narratives, symbolic actions, and oracles that were proclaimed. And so the early chapters focus on Ezekiel's inaugural vision, which includes the famous image of the wheel within a wheel, as well as his call to be a prophet. And so these early chapters establish Ezekiel's authority and the divine origin of his messages. And then he delivers a series of messages using symbolic language and dramatic actions (laughs) to convey his messages. You might say that many times the prophets of God were pretty eccentric, right? And God made them that way. And um, not all of them wanted to be that eccentric. Um, But anyway, it was some pretty eccentric stuff at various times. But all for a purpose of calling Israel to repentance. And sometimes (laughs) when you are in the midst of rebellion, you have to use some extreme measures, right? I mean, ask Isaiah. That was pretty extreme. But when people are cemented in their rebellion and their hearts are cold and hard, it's what it takes. So we find Ezekiel is confronting the public and private idolatry of Israel and Judah, exposing the lives of the prophets. And so Ezekiel exposes several lies propagated by the false prophets of his time. And these fake prophets, these fake teachers, were misleading the people of Judah with their messages, claiming to speak on behalf of God, when in reality they were promoting falsehoods and leading the people astray, just like it is today. Not much has changed, right? Whenever you have a rebellious and disobedient people, you will have a rebellious and disobedient leadership. Like people, like priests, and like priests, like people. They were promoting falsehoods, leading the people astray, and Ezekiel exposes their lies. One of the lies that he exposed was their false assurance of peace. That's always a big one. Listen, when you are in the midst of rebellion against God, and when you are in the midst of God's judgment coming down upon you, if you have leaders, and if you have priests, and if you have prophets, and if you have pastors who are telling you that everything is fine, they're saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Mark it down. He is a False prophet. He's a charlatan. He's a huckster. The false prophets assured the people that there would be peace and security despite their disobedience and idolatry. And anyone who is telling Americans today that everything is going to be all right as we are in the midst of our extreme rebellion and iniquity, he's a liar. An absolute, 100% bona fide liar and deceiver. He is a wolf in sheep's clothing. 
You see, these false prophets in Ezekiel's time, they downplayed the severity of the people's sins. It's not an abomination against God. It's not God's best for your life. They downplayed the severity of the people's sins, and then they would prophesy peace. They were waving the flag. It's going to be all right. Nothing can defeat us. Remember the Egyptians? Remember the Canaanites? We will grind the Babylonians down to the dust just like before. So they prophesied peace, falsely comforting them with a sense of security and stability. And then, secondly, he exposed their lies of uh, prophecies of prosperity. The false prophets were promising the people prosperity and economic success. Don't worry, it'll be okay. It's all fine and dandy. Don't get anxious. Just continue on in your sin. Have a good time. Party it up. Don't pay any attention to all the homeless people you're seeing. The increase, the drug addiction, all that kind of stuff. The businesses in despair, the banks falling. Don't pay any attention to that. They promised them. That even though their actions and idolatry were contrary to God's commands, they spoke words of false hope, assuring the people of material blessings and wealth, despite the impending judgment of God upon them. And then he exposed the lie of their denial of God's impending judgment. You see, the false prophets denied and they dismissed the warnings of God's judgment that were proclaimed by true prophets like Ezekiel. Yeah, they're the ones when someone says, Oh, wow, a natural disaster. Maybe we ought to humble ourselves before God and seek his face and repent of our sins. And they're like, Ah, you're an idiot. God doesn't have control of the weather. What were you thinking? Right? Is that essentially what they're saying when they deny it? They're saying that God's not sovereign, that he's not in control of the weather, and that we're not sinful. And so, they contradicted the messages of impending destruction and exile proclaiming a false sense of security and minimizing the consequences of the people's sins. And then, concerning their idolatrous practices, they encouraged the people to continue their idolatry. Maybe not directly, but it's implied, it's encouraged, as they support the profaning of the name of God 
and the profaning of the worship of God and the rejection of that which God has prescribed in his worship and service. And so Ezekiel exposes these lies. He confronts the false prophets and he declares the true message of God. He emphasizes the seriousness of the people's sins. He warns them of judgment that will come upon sin. And then he calls the people to genuine repentance and a return to wholehearted devotion to Jehovah. And so through his prophecies, Ezekiel seeks to counteract and contradict the false narratives and guide the people back to a true understanding of God's will and his righteous standards. But Ezekiel also exposes and reveals the public and private idolatry of the people. So, what we have here is hidden idolatry, which refers to the secret worship of idols, primarily in the heart, and the devotion to false gods that the people engaged in behind closed doors or in hidden places. And then there's the public idolatry, the blatant worship of idols and the involvement of pagan rituals that takes place in public settings. And Ezekiel exposes these practices. And by exposing them, he calls the people to repentance and to turn away from their idolatry. This is the gist of the book of Ezekiel. And interwoven into the, that is hope in the future of restoration and reconciliation when the people repent and turn back to the Lord. So let's consider real quickly Ezekiel chapter 14 in a topical format here this morning. We're not going to be doing a verse-by-verse exposition, but just our desire here this morning is just to draw out the text topically that w- and what was going on here in Ezekiel's day and to make application to our day. Notice, first of all, in verse number one, now some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me, and the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired of all by them? Now, These are elders who are the initial captives from the first invasion, and they are also representatives of the people who were taken by Babylon in that invasion. So obviously, their situation is causing them to question some things. It's even causing them to inquire of Ezekiel, to inquire from the man of God, because they know that Ezekiel's message is different than the other prophets, And so, it didn't turn out too well. All the promises of the false prophets isn't going very well. And so they decide to inquire of Ezekiel. And so it stands to reason that they are looking, or at least they are professing, proclaiming that they're looking for a word from the Lord to understand their plight. Because nothing gets your attention any quicker than suffering. And it is in the midst of their affliction that they inquire. 
By the way, this is what separates the true prophets from the false. Of course, true prophets proclaim the word of God, and they are ready in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, and exhort by all long suffering. But the elders, and by extension the people, are inquiring of the Lord while they're coming to Ezekiel with idols that they have set up in their hearts. So they've been taken off into captivity because of their idolatry. And they are so committed that they set up these idols in their hearts. So what we understand here is they're not coming in truth and sincerity. And by truth and sincerity, I don't mean sinless perfection. I'm talking about the kind of truth and sincerity that dictates coming in repentance of sin and faith. But these elders nor the people were inquiring in repentance and faith. And while we don't know all the things going on in each individual, it is revealed here in our text that they had set up their idols in their hearts and that they had put these idols before them. In their way. That would cause them to stumble into iniquity. In other words, they're jumping headlong. With full knowledge. With full intention. They're not falling into sin by accident. They're placing these idols before them to cause them to fall into their iniquity. They are knowingly and intentionally setting up their idols in their hearts and putting them before them in the way. And willingly, they are stumbling over them into iniquity. They had no intention of removing them, but rather to continue in them. And yet, here they are inquiring and consulting with the man of God what might seem on the surface as hopeful, actually is not. Now, they approach the prophets seeking guidance while they're still clinging. They're still holding on to their idols. So they are really inquiring and consulting with the man of God in pretense, in insincerity and hypocrisy. They have no intention of giving up their idols. They have no intention of giving up their sin. They have no intention of repentance. They have no intention to live by faith. Their iniquity is basically hogwash. It's a performance, meaning that they are just performing, but it's not real. It is, if they were really sincere, they would be coming in humility, repentance, and faith, and not having set up idols in their hearts. It's as if they have just solidified and made their hearts even harder. They have every intention of holding on to them. But we find them over and over again, Ezekiel 8, Ezekiel 20, we find the elders of Israel coming to Ezekiel to inquire of the Lord over and over again. Never with any intention of repentance. And then we find this in Ezekiel 33 and verse 31. And they come unto you, the Lord says, as the people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goes after their covetousness. 
This is why the Lord asked Jeremiah this question there in, at the end of verse 3. When it is acknowledged how they are coming, the Lord asks Ezekiel, because of this, should I let myself be inquired of at all by them? That is a very scary question. You see, God is refusing to answer them. They're going to inquire. Will you at this time restore Israel? Right? Isn't that what they're wanting to know? When do we get to go back to our land? When do we get all of our stuff back? When do we get our liberty back? Our freedom? And the Lord says, should I even answer them? Why should I answer them? They're not repenting. They're not turning back to me. No, they're holding on to their idols. They're holding on to their sin. They just want all the material blessings and prosperity back. They don't want to be under the thumb of Babylon. And so God refuses to answer them and responds according to the idolatry in their hearts. And instead of answering them on their terms, he answers them on his terms as he always does, right? God never speaks to us on our terms. And he never answers us on our terms. Now he condescends to us on our level but never according to our conditions. God will not be manipulated. God will not be bargained with. God will not be held hostage. And so notice in verse 4, at the end of verse 4, says, I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols, that I may seize the house of Israel by their heart. And then in verse 6, this is what he tells Ezekiel to say, Repent, turn away from your idols, and turn your faces away from all your abominations. So the message to the prophet, who's to be instant in season and out of season, to rebuke, exhort, uh, what's the other one? Reprove with all long-suffering and doctrine. The word that he gave to Ezekiel to do that is repent, turn away from your idols, and turn your faces away from your abominations. That is the word that he is to be faithful to. And then notice in verse number 9. It's the only word he's to be faithful to. And if the prophet is induced, if he is deceived, if he is, if his mind is opened to anything, to speak anything else, 
then he goes on to make some proclamations. But what we have here is Ezekiel confronting the idolatry of the elders, the prophets, and the people. And this is the only word that he is given to repent. And there isn't to be any other word given until they repent. They're not going to tiptoe through the tulips. And they're not going to dance with the angels. They're going to be told to repent. That's the only word. You see, the leaders and the false prophets, they reveal their idolatry by not speaking the word of the Lord, but the words of idolatry. They smooth over their sin and they add sin to sin by not speaking the word, which is repent and turn from your abominations. But see, that's not... The message that they want. And you see, God knows that that's not what they are inquiring about, and he's ticked off about it. And so he tells them that I'm going to set my face against that man, the one who will not repent, and the one who will not turn from his idols, and the one who will not turn his face away from his abominations. The Lord says in verse 8, I will set my face against that man, and I will make him a sign and a proverb. He'll be famous. We're going to be a generation that's famous, because everybody's going to look back on us and say, what a bunch of morons. We're going to become a proverb, right? And the Lord goes on to say, And I will cut him off from the midst of my people. Then you will know that I am the Lord. You see, the name of the Lord is at stake in the midst of all this. Whether or not we will return to him on his terms or not. See, his name is at stake. And so... He is going to make sure that it is known that he is the Lord. And then also with the prophets who would speak anything else in addition to what needs to be spoken. And you know, he says that he'll stretch out his hand against them and destroy them. And the punishment on the prophet will be the same as the punishment of the one who inquired. But Ezekiel had to be faithful to the word. That's what people get all upset today. This problem, that problem, that problem. Repent. Turn from your idols. Turn your faces away from your abominations. That's not what we want to hear. Right? Can you imagine the elders and the other people? Their anger at Ezekiel? We had real problems and we had real concerns. And all he said was, repent! It's because we have got to get this message through. All of our problems 
is because of our idols. All of our problems is because of our sin. All of our problems are because we will not repent. And so God's response to their idolatry is he sets his face against them. He gives them a warning. He reminds them of the punishment he's brought upon idolatry in the past. He reveals the seriousness of their idolatry and he calls them to repentance. And that is the same message for today. The same message today as we come to inquire of the Lord. To hear a word from the Lord. And that word is this. Repent. Turn away from your idols. What is an idol? Anything that comes before God. Anything that causes you to disobey God is an idol. It is your God. Repent and turn away from your gods. And turn your faces away from all your abomination. So as we think upon this, here in Ezekiel chapter 14 concerning Ezekiel and the children of Judah, to make application to our hearts here this morning, we should first examine our hearts. To see, truly, if there's any worldly desires or material possessions or ideologies that have taken priority over our devotion to God. It could be the pursuit of success. It could be the love of money. It could be political affiliations and places of rank. It could be the idolization of celebrities. But what have we Put before the Lord. You shall have no other gods before me, he said. These were the idols that they had carved in their hearts, things that they loved more than God, things that they were willing to serve above God. And then. We need to consider genuine repentance. We talk a lot about repentance. But what we need is really true, genuine repentance. Because that's what God requires. That's what God calls for. That's what God demands. And so not just some superficial acts of religious observance. But true authenticity authenticity in repentance. Which, first of all, means that we have to truly acknowledge our sin. Not hide it from the Lord, but acknowledge it. You can't repent of something that you will not acknowledge. Are you truly turning away from idolatrous practices and seeking a deep, transformative change in your heart and in your life? Repentance involves acknowledging your idols. You need to know what your idols are. You need to know what you love more than God. Your disposition, things that you are inclined, the sins that so easily beset you. 
You need to be able to identify them. How are you going to acknowledge them? How are you going to repent of it? How are you going to turn from it? How are you going to destroy those idols if you don't know what they are? We need to make serious examination into our hearts and lives to know what our idols are. See, repentance involves acknowledging the idols, confessing them before God, and intentionally destroying them. Tear down those idols. And then we need to consider worship in spirit and truth because true worship requires wholehearted devotion to God. In our worship and spiritual practices, we need to ensure that our heart is aligned with God and free from idols. How can we worship God when we are setting up idols in our hearts? And then we need to let go of worldly influences that distract us, that influence us, to turn away from the one true and the living God and to erect idols in our minds and in our hearts. And then we need to pursue restoration. And then we need to guard against spiritual compromise. It's so easy to compromise, isn't it? But we have to be vigilant against all the enticements. Because we are being enticed each and every second of every day, especially in this day that we live in. We're being enticed. And the temptation to compromise our faith is great. The temptation to bow down and worship and to receive the benefits from the altar of that idol. Presses upon us each and every day. But ultimately, it only leads to emptiness and separation from God. Complete and utter destruction. So, we need to guard against spiritual compromise. And then we need to remember that in the midst of sin and judgment, there is hope in the promises of God. But this hope is only in repentance, revival, and reformation. So what we're discovering here in Ezekiel chapter 14 is this, that idolatry is the weapon of self-destruction. Whenever you see destruction, it is because of idolatry. Every sin that you ever commit is because of idolatry. You have to first break the first commandment to break the other nine is idolatry. It's worshiping and serving something else instead of the Lord your God. Father, we acknowledge here this morning we're no different than the Israelites. We're just like them. We are a stiff-necked and a hard-hearted people. Constantly, always looking 
to serve some other God, to serve something else rather than you, to put something before you. Even though you continually pour out your grace and blessings upon us, and no sooner than you do it, we turn to something else. So, Father, we pray that you would forgive us and that you would help us to understand that idolatry is killing us. Idolatry is destroying us. And that we have been commanded to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And it is only then, it is only then that all these things will be added unto us just as you have warned us in Deuteronomy chapter 28. we got to put you first. Blessings will result. But when we go after sin, when we rebel and turn away from you, there's nothing but curses to be found. So, Father, we pray that you would grant unto us true, genuine repentance. And that we would truly feel the weight of our sin and the judgment that is coming upon us. Because we have failed to live in the light of Christ. We have failed to live our lives as a living sacrifice. We have failed to give up everything and follow Christ. Forgive us in Christ's name. Amen.